is like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. She might be going by a different name this evening, but nonetheless, now she's here. Um, I feel like are... now you should tell people because otherwise it might be something really mean, you know? What, Corey Joe? Doesn't doesn't Kathy call you Corey Joe? Yeah, but if you just left it with, she might be going by a different name tonight. It, oh, okay. You know, it sounds a little I sketch. They could, <laughs> they could fill the blank with whatever they want. Um, yeah. You know, we're using uh, a very popular podcasting recording service called Zencaster. Uh, that we've been using for a couple months now, and uh, usually I put Corey Star, and tonight for some reason I felt the need to put Corey Joe, uh, and I did. So that's what her name is showing on my screen. Um, we are here, uh, the second to last episode of Minton Box to be recorded, um, w- where we're going to be talking about Corey's selection, Midnight Cowboy, my second viewing, her first, uh, as the protocol dictates that one of us must have never seen the film that we are covering. Um, if you're new and, to movie club, that's the format. And John's no dictator. I get to pick two. <laughs> yes. Uh, we, we alternate weeks. Um, I do get three picks this month, but that's by coincidence, uh, just mm-hmm. how it, it lands. Um, we alternate weeks and, um, next week we're going to be watching a Hitchcock film that I'm pretty excited about. Oh, um, good. But, uh, we will get into that a little later on. Uh, the way it works, we, we like to start off just kind of catching up and then uh, talk about what else we've been watching since the last time we recorded before getting into our full review of Midnight Cowboy. Um, so let's start with that. Corey, how you been during this crazy time we're living in? Oh, gosh. Um, you no, know, Boise. Well, Idaho, I think, has reopened now. Um, I only keep up with, like, businesses like local businesses that i like and i frequent or like one of my friends here owns a salon so that's how i know <laughs> that those things uh, have reopened also it's been 12 weeks without a haircut so here we are i usually go every six weeks so mm. i'm going tomorrow um oh yeah so it's it's interesting and i just i don't are, have you guys reopened I mean, pretty much. Um, the The movie theaters are still closed. Um, the theme parks are uh, making their official announcements. Um, I think Legoland's planning on opening June first and Universal Ugh. June fifth. And then we haven't heard Disney yet, but I'm sure they'll follow close in in uh, place. Um, but like barbershops and stuff opened last this week, I guess on Monday. Um, mm. I think bars might still be closed, but those I think are set to reopen next week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and our governor announced today that summer camps uh, are an essential business. So, yeah. I mean, if I had a kid, <laughs> I'd probably, especially after having them home this much. Guys, I don't have kids, and I'm sure I'd be a great mom, but I'm just saying. Um, yeah. You know, um, that's interesting, though. I know, it seems like some of the things that they're, like, counting as essential businesses. Um, I was happy when they, our governor, like, announced that if, if you could run your business curbside um or delivery that you could be considered you would be considered an essential business so i like that um i don't know it's just bothering me i had to go to target the other day and i had to get like some a couple of items but i was in a back 
to my car in less than five minutes. But people are just like leisurely like shopping for swimsuits or like, you know, I don't know. It just bothers me. Everyone's acting like nothing's happened and everything is fine. There are already people yeah. like dining inside of restaurants. Oh, I don't yeah. know when I'm going to be dining in a restaurant. I got uh, takeout tonight, in fact. Um, and the we went to the, the Hibachi like Express. I didn't want to like fully name drop them, but they've done a really good job of like like setting up their to like they move their register right by the door. They built this plywood thing that goes into like just enough for one person to walk in. Um, and then they actually have like a safety door where like they have a fiberglass door on one side that they open, put the food in, and then you open the other door. I may have already talked about this because the second time I've been since they've reopened. So like they've they've really gone out of their way to make this like a safe takeout only situation for now. And the, there was a person in front of me. Now I, I'm like, I'm six feet away, but I'm, I'm outside there inside. Cause that's all the room there is. It's like, you can, they have the door propped open. You walk in, that's all the room. And I hear her ask, um, when are they going to open the inside? Cause restaurants are open like 50% capacity, which makes zero sense to me, by yeah. the way. The, you can't the, be the, six feet away. Right. Cause cap- uh, capacity is their fire code capacity, oh damn. not even the safety of like six feet away capacity so yeah uh it's ridiculous um my uh, I'm, i don't want to deviate but she uh i hear her say when are you going to reopen the inside i can't hear him because he's behind plexiglass and plywood so unless you're standing in that little room you can't hear them and um whatever he said though her res- her response was what's the hold up so my assumption was he didn't know and her response was what's the hold up while not wearing a mask and a you pandemic, know, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. I literally said that out loud. I was like, a pandemic? That's the holdup. Like we're in the middle of a pandemic, and that's what frustrates me. Like our gym reopened this week, which has been really hard for me because I really want to go to my gym. Like I, that's become my thing. Like I go three places willingly. I go to work because I love my job. I go to the gym because I I love who I've become physically. And I go to the movie theater. Those are like the three things that I like. So I'm, I'm missing all of them right now. Um, and so the gym reopening has been really hard for me because I want to go, but I want to live. So my, my gut tells me not to go. The point and, of all that progress. <laughs> I mean. Well, and yeah. And the email, <laughs> the email from my gym really stressed me out because my gym is relatively small. It used to be a, a blockbuster at one point. Uh, one, one of my favorite blockbusters, in fact, but um, it's not super small, but it's small. And there's many it, it's this is like the franchise is built this way. It's it's 24 hours and there's many locations. So like it's meant to be like, you know, relatively tiny. And in their email, when they were explaining what they are doing to like be healthy, they said we're we're staying at 50 percent capacity. So we don't believe that the gym will ever hit our capacity, seeing as that it's 155. And I'm like, I'm like, wait a second. You're telling me your 50% capacity is if 150 people were in our gym, you would be standing side by side. Like, so they're, they were pointing that out that their number is so high. It is impossible. They'll never hit that number. And that's true. I completely agree with that. No way would there ever be a hundred people in that gym. But that just means that there's no regulations on how many people can be in the gym. And that is really what's keeping me from going back. That and seeing a friend who also uses uh, the, the same company but a different location um, post that it was day one after uh, post-pandemic workout. And I was like, pandemic's still happening. It's still here. 
yes, we're opening stuff up, but the pandemic isn't over. And the fact that you worded it that way is why I'm afraid to go to the gym. Because how many people are thinking like you that the government wouldn't let us do this if it was a risk? And it's like, no, they totally would. Totally, it's capitalistic society. Would. Let's not lie to ourselves. And right. I and don't. We're worse, I think, though, because there's so many people who were upset that they couldn't just keep living their normal day to day life the way it was as though there wasn't something to worry about. And like, so I don't know who's more to blame the, because in some ways the politicians are doing what the, a lot of the public, the loudest members of our public have been saying, you know, just let us do our thing. And, and part of me agrees with that. You know, like I I have like, you go ahead. No, you know, I have that, like, I, I, I think people should, as long as you're not infringing on other people, this is a cherry Coke. If you're hearing the candy cracking, um, uh, cherry Coke zero. Um, if you're not infringing or hurting anybody else, I kind of don't have an issue with it. But at the same time, I don't. I, I feel like you can live your life right now and not affect other people. Yeah, yeah, not untrue. Like. I don't know. They they were talking about opening schools and stuff, and it's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> okay, cool, but all, okay, let's just talk about kids don't wash their hands. Oh, anyway, I mean, just, I mean, adults don't. Yeah, well, logistically, yeah. it is impossible for a normal school to have students six feet apart in a classroom, unless you severely cut the number of students which would mean you either need more schools suddenly which won't happen overnight or less students which means only some would come to school which is a possibility i've heard bounced around keep my i am a teacher um i have no like inside information but just things that we're like we're hypothesizing what is next year going to look like as we're wrapping up this year and you know, there is talk like maybe only some students will come to school, like students who don't have access to supplies at home. Maybe like half of the school comes to school and the other half stays home and does online stuff or, um, you know, the, it being completely online. But clearly that's where there's issues because they are like, you know, little kids basically can't stay home alone and parents need to work. So you need schools. And that is what schools are not supposed to be. But clearly, that's where our government views schools and why we've always been underappreciated uh, as as an institution. But this, yeah, I, this didn't mean to get so deep into this, but it has happened. I mean, it's what's happening. This is everyone's life right now. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm not, I'm just going to keep staying home for the most part. I'm going to, um, we'll continue getting takeout when we want, you know, something yeah. that I don't have to or like clean up after um and just something delicious that's different sometimes because i can't live my whole life yeah. on tacos um i mean oh i can but... <laughs> <laughs> we have them like two or three nights a week um they're like my favorite food but um and you know like or like if they're like doing deliveries or uh curbside because i just don't i just yeah, don't I, feel safe i'm with you on that I like I'll go into a place if I can wear a mask um and especially uh, the last article I read about contact was that it is much less likely for you to spread the coronavirus through touching a surface is much more if someone coughs on you and that's where the masks are so important and staying distant and I'm I can do that as much like if I feel like I can't do that I'm not going into that place right like that's my big thing and um I am 
definitely vocal enough if like someone's standing on top of me i'm going to say something but um you know last uh i think since we recorded i can't remember what day we went but we went to um a zoo there there's a, a zoo in florida not far from us that has a drive-through zoo that they've established as soon as the coronavirus hit like it's pretty crazy it's very much like the jurassic park ride um in a oh lot of ways because yes. like the animals are like free roaming and you're just kind of in your vehicle um you can't go faster than like five miles an hour like we had an emu almost come through the window at us <laughs> uh, but it was like it was a cool little experience you know it was like it was a lot it was not cheap either to be honest um and it was it was like a two-hour drive there and back so it was it was an ordeal oh, of a day but um it was something you know because we we've been stuck at home and kathy's having a harder time i think with it than i am as far as like i don't need to go places where she is much more social um so i think the the zoo thing was was good for all of us so it got us out of the house and uh but safely out of the house um but you know we've been in stores like we actually we did venture into a walmart last week uh, masks on and everything but um and and yet the problem is that there's some people who just are neglecting it and i i I get why you don't want to wear a mask. Um, it's hard to breathe. I mean, I have gla- I wear glasses and they do fog up. Oh dang! Uh, from it, and that can be annoying. It doesn't always either. That's the weirdest part. Is like sometimes it's immediately fogged up, and other times it's fine, and then suddenly it'll fog up. I don't. It, it's very annoying. But <laughs> I, I, I w- don't want to spread it. I, you know, Kathy works retail, so it's she's already putting herself at risk, and they have to wear masks at work. Thank goodness. But oh good. Um, but the customers don't you know like that's the thing like they're not enforcing anything like that with customers it's hard to do that with customers people are afraid of losing business but yeah it's so you know we're already kind of at risk and that's why i wear the mask because if just in case i i have not i don't feel like i have any symptoms or anything like that but you know you can be asystematic in that symptomatic excuse me not systematic symptomatic and um i don't want to be the reason someone gets sick you know and you know, Bill was really sick, and he got tested for it, and then he got the antibodies test too, and both came back negative. And if he was having that hard of a time breathing, and it wasn't even this, wow, I don't, yeah, like I, he's so hard headed. Yeah, I am I, too. I get that. Um, oh, I know you do. <laughs> but uh, it's like, take, tell me to take you to the hospital if you can't breathe. He's like, oh, it was so bad last night. Well, thanks for telling me. I could have just woken up to you being, you know. Uh. Yeah. No words scare me more than I thought I was having a heart attack, like, Holy. the next day. It's like, yeah, why did you say something? <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. I can drive you wherever you need to go. I don't care if I'm working. I don't care what I'm doing yeah exactly like i like you let's not juggle yeah right exactly let's not juggle that um uh, all right well let's get into the the less serious stuff what what have we been watching uh what have you seen since the last time we recorded okay i uh rewatched creep show 2 because that's one of my favorites um i watched a league of their own yay for the first time since I was a kid, and I like oh, wow. I I loved that movie when I was a kid. I don't know how I watched it so many times because I just feel like someone in my life is a little sexist. Uh, oh. So girls baseball wouldn't have like ah you know flown I think in my own house uh, or like you know I don't think that it would have been something that was turned on for me or left on. Um, so. Uh, 
I don't know where, I don't know if it was at my grandma's or my grandpa's, I don't know, but I liked it when I was a kid, but watching it as an adult and totally understanding everything that's going on and feel, like, being able to empathize with some of that, just, oh, I was, I was, I cried a little bit, and Gina Davis was a fox. And just so terrific in that movie. Yes. Um, and then I totally forgot about like Lori Petty and oh, just yeah. how great every single person on that cast is. Um, I watched The Birds. Dun, 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 dun. Um, I watched all nine episodes of Netflix's, uh, I don't, I think it's an original, uh, The Innocence Files, which is um, from Cases from The Innocence Project which I found out about them a few years ago from Jason Baldwin, who's part of the West Memphis three. If you don't know about that case, I say to read into it. Um, I watched, we have always lived in the castle. Um, Usually I try to wait to watch a movie until after I've watched, I've read wait to watch a movie until after I've read the book. Um, But in this case, I just really wanted to watch the movie. Bill and I both enjoyed it. And then I started the book the same day and I'm enjoying that also. I tried to watch the new Kimmy Schmidt episode, the Pick Your Own Adventure, uh-huh. and I just feel like when I'm watching something, I shouldn't have to work that hard. <laughs> I mean, it's it's meant to be more. Like they did it with Bandersnatch too, which I did not watch, but I, I heard good things about. That's the uh, Black Mirror thing. Um, I it's it's like interactive. I mean, it's definitely not for every moment or every situation, but if you're really up for the uh, up for the game, I guess it could be kind of fun. And then I rewatched Body Bags, uh, which is an anthology. I think it was made for made for Cinemax, uh, but it's like a horror anthology. Two of the stories are with uh, by John Carpenter, and one's by Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper um, yeah. from yeah, he's pretty great. Uh, and then also John Carpenter acts in it also, and he's hilarious. Ah. And then I've been watching on Hulu. I don't know what network it's from, but um, I've been started watching again Nightmare Nightmare Next Door, which is a true crime show that's pretty interesting. And finally, the narrator has kind of laid back on some of the jokes because I just don't feel like you need to be funny with stuff like that. It's very disrespectful, actually. And that's what I've been watching. Um, I I have I finished. I'm caught up through what we do in the shadows. There's an episode that came out Wednesday. I haven't watched yet. Um, really good series on FX. I definitely recommend people check it out. There's so many cool cameos that show up. Um, I watched the half of it, which is a Netflix uh, rom-com. Um, it's so good. Uh, I really, really like it. It's um, directed by Alice Wu and uh, stars um, Leah Lewis. And she, she's relatively new. I think this is only like her third movie and, the last one that I recognized was Fred three. So like the Fred YouTube guy, his movie, like the third movie he did. Um, but this girl is really, really good. It, it's such a, like, there's so many reasons why people should give this movie a chance. One, it's a Netflix original, but um, we have a female director. She, she's Asian. We have an Asian lead character, something that we don't get enough of, um, you know, representation on screen. And it, it is, uh, it is a very progressive rom-com. It does, um, the humor is genuine. It has uh, actual characters that are going through things. It's not just hitting tropes, although there are tropes present if you're familiar with them. Um, but even there, it subverts some of our expectations. It's just, it's really entertaining. It's a very solid movie. I highly, highly recommend people check that out. Um, again, I am a sucker for rom-coms, so if you don't like rom-coms, you probably won't like it. But 
if you do, there you go. Um, we're getting ready to record uh, movie astrology for the year 1967. Oh. Um, and, and there's a lot of movies on the list that I have not seen, but have been on my watch list for a long time. So I finally watched Bonnie and Clyde, um, <laughs> which is a movie I've, I've owned for like three years now and I've just not gotten to it. So I, I'm hitting the Minton box in other areas now too. Um, so I, I finally watched that really obviously excellent film. Um, today, the lovebirds, the Kamel and Johnny Issa oh, yeah. Rae film finally came out on Netflix. So I watched that first thing this morning. Like I, I exercised, took a shower and then I was in that movie. That was like my plan. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Kamel is great. I didn't realize Michael Showalter directed, um, who he directed the big sick direct most iconically he directed a wet hot American summer both the movie and the TV series. He's also one of the leads in both of the, the show and the, in the movie. Um, I didn't realize he had directed this as well. And it, it, it definitely, he's got a real solid grasp of one Kamel and also uh, just rom-coms in general. Um, it's, it's really entertaining. It's not perfect by any means, but it's a lot of fun and it's definitely some good programming for right now. And then continuing with that 67 uh, mindset, I watched barefoot in the park with Rob Redford who I've become like a major fan of and um, Jane Fonda. Uh, it's again, classic film. Um, I've, I, they actually, I think did a Fandango uh, retro TCM screening earlier this year and I missed. So I was, um, I was able to get it digitally though and watched it there. Uh, very good. Um, then, uh, so the last thing I, I've been casually watching community. I'm not like rushing through it. I've seen it before. Um, although apparently I like zoned out during season two, the first time I watched it, because I like barely remember any episodes from season two. Um, but uh, I was watching an episode today and I found it funny. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but like you go through something in real life and then like you watch a show and it like seems like it was made for what you were just going through. Um, yeah. It's not about a pandemic, but so uh, I know you watched How I Met Your Mother, right? Uh, I've seen a few episodes with you. Oh, oh okay. Never mind. I thought you were a fan. Um, so. That show, there's an episode uh, where Marshall has, is supposed to be running in the, the New York Marathon, right? Mm-hmm. And he breaks his foot, like, right before the marathon, and Barney ends up going, uh, taking his spot and running for him. And uh, when Marshall, they have, like, back, it's, it's a flashback episode, so they jump back and forth a little bit. And um, Marshall is training. One of the things that he's reading a book about being, a, like, preparing to run a marathon is that uh, runner's nipples is a thing that can happen where like your nipples get really chafed from them, like rubbing up and down on the shirt. Mm -hmm. So I've started running and I found out yesterday that that is a real freaking thing. (laughs) And I had no clue. Yeah. It's so I like, I I run and I, I sweat like it was super humid yesterday morning and it was like foggy. So like it was the most I've sweat in a long time and I didn't realize anything was up like, and I, I when I was reading stories about it later, like because I'm trying to like what do we what do you do kind of thing, people were like, well they noticed blood on their shirt. I had a red shirt, so I have no clue if there was blood Fudge. on my shirt or not. But um, I'm in the shower and I'm like, ow, why is the water burning my chest? And I'm like, oh my god, runner's nipples a thing. And so, um, when I'm looking, I'm like, what do people do? And and how I met your mother, they said put Vaseline when you run because it like helps to make your shirt just not rub raw, right? So, uh, I mean, they're exercise shirts. It's fine. But, um, you'll just have perfectly stained. (laughs) The other thing though, that that they, there's a, there's a product called, um, nip guards for runners, right? Where like, they're like basically pasties that go over your nipples per run. 
and it, it protects your, your nipples. And I'm like, all right then. And so watching Community today, <laughs> there's a moment uh, Jeff Winger gets arrested and they give him back his supplies. And he was running when he got arrested. And the, the cop drops a wallet, something, and he's like, and he says, this is the quote, it's like the gayest thing I've ever seen. And Jeff's like, they're nip guards. It's a legitimate thing for runners. And I'm like, oh my god, that's so weird. <laughs> that's such a weird thing to, like, you know. Yeah, so that, know. that happened today. That was, the like, the last episode of Community I watched, and I was just like, well, that's really weird timing. Because um, I literally was looking at, like, I... it, like, your phone does that now all the time, right? Like, if you Google something, all of a sudden it'll be your ad on Instagram. But, like, TV yeah. shows from years ago shouldn't be able to do that, you know? <laughs> I um, I was going to say, they also have, like, other stuff that I think you can buy at most stores that's, like, anti-chafing. Yeah, I'm sure there's other stuff. But I was just, like, looking online, um, you know, what people recommended. That's interesting. Yep, um, I did, though. Uh, or Band-Aids were popular, too, if you don't want to, like, buy the nipple-specific, like, buying, like band-aids big enough to go over your nipples is an option but um so yeah uh that's the most i've ever talked about my nipples in my 37 years of life so uh but yeah real thing can actually happen and it's super painful i'm not gonna lie um it's been a long day today so uh but um that is uh what we've been watching um and uh runner's nipples uh for the listener uh enjoyment um popping in no i'm kidding oh my god in the meantime uh before we get to our review of midnight cowboy uh we're gonna take a a brief break for a sponsor and we are back midnight cowboy 1969 um A naive hustler travels from Texas to New York City to seek personal fortune, finding a new friend in the process. Um, Stars Dustin Hoffman, John Voight, uh, John Schlesinger is our director. Um, There's other people in this movie, but really it's those two. Those like everyone else kind of comes and goes uh, pretty quickly. Um, And uh, this is my second viewing. As I said earlier, it has a 79 Metascore, 7.8 IMDb user score. Corey. Uh, and I both actually own this on Criterion. Um, I, I really need to start taking advantage of those Criterion extras. All I did was watch the movie. Um, Same. I should have watched like the commentary or something. But uh, well, let's hear from you first. What did you think of Midnight Cowboy? Um, you know, it was a little more. Hmm. I don't know what word to use here abstract i guess in some ways than i was expecting um like with the flashbacks and stuff Mm, yeah um yeah i really enjoyed the uh performances was this john boyd's first film i know that i was reading about like how he he didn't even get paid oh wow um I didn't read that he didn't get paid. Uh, not, I'm not doubting you. I just didn't read that. Um, I am looking. It, it's definitely one of his earliest films. He was on TV series. And then, no, he's got a couple movies before, but they're all very, like, I don't know them. Hour of the Gun, Fearless Frank. look like maybe Westerns. Um, and then Midnight Cowboy is probably his breakout. 
Okay. Um, I was just doing some quick Googling because I got that from a Mental Floss uh, article that I was reading about Midnight Cowboy um, that just came up in my Facebook feed, interestingly. Um, yep, but yeah. that's what I'm talking about. He, yeah, I know. It's because our phones are always listening. Right. I wish that I didn't ever get a phone. But anyway, um, so that's interesting. He got billed for the things, like for his food and drink and stuff, too. During the making of the film, um, I yeah I the wasn't he an anaconda? Yes. And he's so creepy in that movie. Yes. That has stuck with me since I was in seventh or so grade. My dad loved that movie, so we watched it a million times. Um, so it was just really interesting seeing him very young in this movie. Um, it's a sad movie. I mean, I guess that I didn't really know that I was going into that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Lots of desperation. Well, um, we we do refrain from spoilers, so we'll get more into like what makes this a sad movie. But um, I liked it the first time. I liked it, I think, even more this time. Um, and I, I may have liked it the same, but like I, I kind of was like, it felt like I had. I knew it was heavy going in because I've already seen it, so I was like kind of dreading watching it for a little bit. I was like, oh, oh man, I don't know if I'm in the mood for this. Um. And then as soon as it started, I was like pulled in because the performances are so freaking powerful and uh, the characters are so interesting. Um, one of the things I read, uh, Dustin Hoffman plays um, Ratso or Rizzo, um, that he put a pebble in his shoe to develop the limp that yeah. he was walking with. And it's such, um, you know, his introduction is so intriguing and he's such a unique character. And Joe Buck is like um, the first time he has sex with a woman. Because the whole premise is that he leaves uh, Texas to go to New York to become a male prostitute um, or a hustler, as he calls himself. And uh, the first time he has sex with like the woman, and then he tries to get money from her and she like flips it on him and he, he pays her. Um, it's so crazy. And you're just like, wow, dude, like you are in over your head. Like you have no yeah. idea what you're doing. Um, I, I'm sorry. I think they did a really good job with like painting his na- naivety. For sure. Um, just on the just the cowboy look, right? Like he, he thinks he is a cool cowboy and like he's laughed at the second he gets on the bus. It's not even like New York. It's like on the bus in Texas and they're like, what is he wearing? Like he is so oblivious to the way people perceive him. And it's um, in that way, it's a kind of a tragic character. Like he is. He it's a get rich quick scheme. I mean, it's it's weird that they painted it as a hustler. I mean, because this story is told in other ways, like with a musician, you know, like someone leaves or an actor, you know, they go to L.A. to be an actor. That's it's so much darker that he wants to be like a prostitute. Like the only thing he thinks he's good at is sex. And then when you learn about you kind of learn about the tragic backstory, um, which we'll get into in spoilers. But there is that is one of the. uh, I think one of the most challenging things about the film, and this was based on a book and the book apparently is much more explicit about some of the uh the details that you as you as you called were abstract um and i think is accurate i think the movie wants you to uh make a lot of decisions that are never a hundred percent clarified um that the book apparently is much more explicit about this is what happened um so if you search like that that plot point 
it, there's tons of uh, sites that are just dedicated to the book because they just want you to like, this is what you're looking for. Here you go. This is what the book says. So this is what most likely is supposed to be. But um, it, it definitely that those flashbacks and the abstract nature of it are supposed to help us understand why he is doing what he's doing, like why he thinks he's the best at that um, at having sex. And that's why women will pay him, even though it doesn't seem to be entirely accurate, but uh, both Voight and um, Hoffman are just outstanding in this movie. And it is, uh, it's clear to see why it is a classic. Um, it like, because it, I feel like the movie lures you in with this premise that he's going to be like having sex with a bunch of women. And like, um, I can see it like pulling people in that maybe normally wouldn't watch a movie like this, because I think once you're past that, this is a very indie art house type movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's very introspective. It's, there's a lot that it's saying, but it would get people in the door like, Oh, it's going to be a guy having sex with a bunch of women. It's like, yeah, there is, there's some nudity, but that's not what this movie's about. Like at all. Like this movie is much more about, you know, finding oneself and, and kind of, I think growing up in a big way, like, and I, I'm maturing, you know, um, and then uh, the friendship element to this. Um, and I, I think there's some social commentary too about maybe New York City in 1969 and like how people were treated or mistreated. Um, I don't know enough about the time period, but just I know that uh, New York in every movie, everything before the 90s, I think New York is painted as this kind of horrible place where like crime and drugs reign. And then um, it's cleaned up, I think, in the 90s. And then after 9-11, it really has changed. I don't think we look at New York the same way that we used to anymore. Um, and I think it actually has changed to a degree. I think there's still that crime and stuff there, but they've cleaned up a lot of it. And uh, they definitely want the, the image to be different, whether or not it's truth. Um, but I think in like in the 60s and the 70s, you get this kind of really dark side of New York. I mean, French Connection this movie um you get oh, that yeah. residual of just like how dark of a place taxi driver um and uh, this focuses in on these t just these two guys and one who's a fish out of water you know literally like he stands out above the crowd like that's one of the most iconic scenes is him walking in the crowded streets in new york and just towering over everybody you know in his cowboy hat at that you know um joe buck even his name right his name sounds so made up uh, i know it sounds like a porn star name right sorry because it rhymes with the word like you, you can hear the pickup line right joe buck and i like to you know like, <laughs> oh i'd get out of here but that's what i i can't i swear that's a line in a movie if not this movie somewhere that has been uttered as a, a line in a film probably in reference to this film um also uh on a side note before we get into spoilers there is a song that is uh, that has a reference to well one i'm a big fan of me and earl and the dying girl which i i think you are as well um and they this is one of the movies that they make they did um 12 o'clock cowboy i think or something like that it was like uh but they uh that's one of the shorts that or one of the recreations that they did in how it, me and earl and the dying girl and then there is a song that i'm going to have a hard time it's something Oh man, normally I have the song like right on the tip of my tongue and I'm not gonna be able to remember it. Hang on a second. Um I think it's like Morrison, Van Morrison not Van Morrison, that's not it. Dang it, what is it called? Of course. Um, well, it's a song that in the song they rep they basically describe the plot of this film in the second verse. Um I'm looking it up. 
now because I feel like I have to say the name of the song. Because actually, I like the song. Um, You're saying Jim Mor- Van Morrison, and it's making me think no, it's, maybe it's, Jim Morrison. It's not. No, 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 no. It's a modern song. Like it's a brand new oh. song. Um, oh. Yeah. It, well, brand new within like the last two years. Not like. That's pretty yeah, new though. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's man. What is it called? I um, I can like picture the album cover. And I can't pull the name of the freaking artist. Uh, it's not an artist I usually would listen to on its own, but it's an artist that I listen to um, when it like comes into my playlist and stuff. And I like the song. And when I realized, I realized just a few months ago that it was um, talking about this movie. I was like, oh, that's really cool that he's they're talking about you know because I'm sure most people who are listening to the song haven't even heard of the movie or at least haven't seen it. You know. Um, because it's it's again it's a more modern song so it's not like you wouldn't necessarily expect a a mod, a band right now to like reference this 1969 movie but again people films are influential and they make they hit us at different times um i will find this i'm going to keep looking for it um but let's go ahead and get into spoilers that way i can keep looking while you talk guys from here on out we are going to talk about midnight cowboy in great detail you have been warned so the ending right hits pretty hard yeah well i i'm just a little bit interested in diseases and stuff um and they don't really talk about they never like you know like broach the subject really they never really talk about what's wrong with him um and there was some there was actually a little thing I think in that mental floss thing uh, article that I read that he Dustin Hoffman was trying so hard to be very real with his coughing and stuff that mm. um, at one point he throws up on John Voight. Yeah, I heard I read something like that too. <laughs> Gross. That would have been like a vomit train. I would have thrown up too. Um, but. Anyway, they never really talk about what's wrong with him, um, so I had to Google it, and I found some places talking about consumption, and then that consumption often references tuberculosis, and then I like went on a whole thing about that, but that tuberculosis was treatable, I think, with a vaccination or something, or it was treatable with something, but just that he's suffering this whole time, but yeah, that ending was pretty rough i found the song okay <laughs> i tried googling and i was like well I can't the artist's name is vance joy oh and, uh the song is riptide and um the second verse um hang on i'm gonna uh is this movie that i think you'll like um this guy decides to quit his job and heads to new york city this cowboy's running from himself and i'm like yeah, that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very direct reference to the film. But again, like, it doesn't say Midnight Cowboy, but it's a cowboy running for himself, quits his job, and heads to New York City. Um, I'm like, it's got to be about that movie. So I like that song. It sounds like you maybe don't like that song. but um, I have never heard it, but I've heard Vance oh, okay. Joy. I only know that song. Um, that one pops up on my playlist, all, like on my stations and stuff all the time. You're like, this guy likes movies. <laughs> Oh, I do. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I wasn't... I, I didn't know much about this movie going in at all. Thank goodness. I mean... 
I don't know, surprisingly, because, you know, it's pretty popular. But, um, yeah, so I didn't quite see that coming. And I just felt like it was so tragic that it it's just, like, final. It's just over. And it makes it make, made me feel so small. I don't know. I mean, that's what death is. Yeah. But he didn't well, have anybody. No. And Ratso is, it's Hoffman plays that so emotionally. Um, Like when he, when he first, when he can't walk and how scared he is and he doesn't want a doctor and like John Voight, it's, we were kind of talking about it earlier, like with that stubbornness, like John Voight's like, okay, then we need to go to the hospital. And the dude's like, no. And he's like, I don't know what to do then. Like, this is it. This is my only answer is that you're sick. You need a doctor. That's all I got. I got nothing else to offer you. I wish that I did know more about the time period because he says that line that I can't go to the hospital. You know what they do with you when you can't walk anymore. Yeah. The implication is that, um, they're going to like, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know. I feel like that I, I had a thought and now I'm like, I, I, does he mean they're going to kill him? Like, is, was that a thing? Like if you were considered like a, a, I, I feel like he was afraid of being put in a home. Like, yeah, um, not having and maybe, his. And those were probably pretty awful in the 60s and 70s, right? Like, oh, uh, and if, don't come from money? Oh, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. I feel have like. Have no money. Have zero money. Um, <sighs> yeah. Which, um, I, oh, go ahead. No, uh, I, I just, when he's on the bus and he, and he pees himself and he's so embarrassed. That's and so sad. Right, and then you know Joe Buck goes and he sheds the cowboy outfit and he dresses normal and he's be like he's accepting that this is I'm gonna live a normal life I'm not gonna be some you know successful hustler or, or a famous musician or whatever you know pipe dream he had which was to be a hustler I'm just saying like he's given that up and he's ready to like settle in and be you know just be normal and he even and, talks about yeah. getting a regular job there yep. And then when he's just dead on the bus and he doesn't know what to do. And the bus driver basically is like, okay, well, you're just going to have to sit with him until we get where we're going. And it's like that, that hits me on like so many levels. Cause I'm sad that, you know, Rass was dead. I am horrified. I, I have, I know it's irrational, but like the idea of like handling a dead body scares me in like so many different ways like it makes me like very germaphobic which i know is the irrational part because i don't think like suddenly someone's dead that they just have like mystery germs but my brain is like don't touch them no no and um i just think they're cold skin yeah well and then of course that that you're literally being faced with our i think most people's greatest fear right the the end Uh, it's like sitting in front of you right now and like that like to have to like and he just he just holds him you know he just holds him and it's um it's not it's you know for a movie from the 60s like dealing with a male relationship um especially one that where one is basically the other's pimp as he calls himself a manager but you know he is acting as a pimp um there is this like overly you know this masculine kind of homophobic type reaction i think maybe would have been got especially him like kind of holding the dead body like even you know just because people were so homophobic and now like watching it through a lens where i don't feel that way i'm just like 
he had nothing when he got to New York, and the only thing he got out of New York was friendship, and he just lost that too. Like, it, it's devastating. Um, and that's and again, it's only more devastating because Ratso is played by Hoffman to be so empathetic and so, um, afraid. And I mean, God, that whole scene, like that whole scene on the bus, is so emotional. And Joe Buck's trying to be. You know, and Joe Buck is shedding not just the the cowboy outfit, but the cowboy persona. He's not being a macho guy. He's he's being an empathetic friend um, to someone who he knows saved his life. Because when he when Rasso takes him into that apartment, then he has the fever dream, which is the only way I can describe that sequencing. Where he's like, we that's where we get most of the Annie story, which we'll get to momentarily. Um, but he's clearly like sick in my eyes like he's sweating he's having these crazy like very lucid dreams and when he wakes up doesn't even remember how he got there um so like i feel like ratso saved his life and now he can't return that favor so like i just think there's so many layers to joe buck's uh ending here that that are tragic which is why i wasn't sure if you would like the movie um because it does end on a, a really hard down note but i don't but think I... it's necessarily fatalistic um in that way I feel like it's also optimistic, though, because he wasn't going to make it in New York. And if it wasn't for Razzo, he wouldn't be in Florida. Yeah. No, I, I do think you can pull a, a lining of hope from this. And hopefully he'll have learned a lesson, um, you know, about needing, like, to, to conform. Because Razzo refused. Razzo had a skill. He could have been a, a, a shoeshiner. Oh, yeah. he, well, true. But he could have been a shoeshiner, oh, yeah. right? The and there's that... Yeah, it was it, granted not a good job, a hard job, and no, no criticism of those who have to do it. It's, it's especially in that time period. I think it was a, a necessary job. People expected their shoes to to be nice, and so it was used a lot. Um, and I know shoe shiners still exist. It's just it's not a service that uh, I've ever had. You know, my sneakers have never needed to be shined per se. You know, so like, um, but it, you know, he he puts his points out why he doesn't do it, but he could have done it. And he would have made a legitimate living. And yes, it would have been hard. And yes, there are some, obviously his dad died from the, he, or at least he says his dad died from the chemicals and whatnot. Um, it's unclear whether or not that's true. And more so if that was just an excuse to not do the job he looked down on that he didn't think was worth his, you know, he was greater than that. But because he chose to be greater than that, it cost him his health in the long run as well. Which is ironic, of course, when he's claiming that the job would have taken his life. His life was taken short because he refused to like find work. And I think you know Joe Buck has, like you said, he's he's taken that lesson and he's he's learning. He's going to get a regular job. He's going to make money. The yes, because he was a dishwasher and he he looked down on that job. Um, and again, it is. I think that's where the commentary on society. It's like we look down on those jobs because society says those jobs aren't worthy of. Uh, even though they're necessary they're essential to our our livelihood right like um there's no greater inequality than not paying janitors properly because we need our bathrooms and toilets and and hallways to be clean especially at like hospitals right and you don't want your the same person who's going to be operating on you to be the one who just scrubbed the toilet right all jobs matter we need everybody because without them society crumbles because Imagine a world where nobody ever cleaned the bathroom. Would you ever want to use a public restroom again? Like most likely no. And, and yet 
we don't pay those people well we don't pay them well enough to survive in most cases and that's what i think the movie's kind of commenting on that is like this is a job many people you see when he's going to shine joe buck's shoes immediately two other people join at the the bench waiting to get their shoes shined you know it's a job that people want to take advantage of but don't want to pay enough to make it viable and that's you know i think there's something to be deciphered in that within the film especially joe buck and dishwashing dishwashing we want clean dishes when we go to a restaurant yet dishwashers are paid so little that it's not enough to really survive on in a, in a, in a you know normal way and I don't remember, like, what movie it is. I don't know if it's, like, it really is how people treated shoeshiners. But I remember seeing somewhere, a movie or a show, where they would just, like, not even hand the person who, like, shoe shine, just shined just their shoes. They would throw the money on the ground. Yep. And, of course, the most famous shoe shiner of all is Andy, uh, Andy <sighs> from Parks and Dwyer. Um Andy Dwyer. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't pull the last name for some reason. Um and Joe Pesci in Goodfellas saying, "Let me get, uh, let me get my shoe box or sh- get your shine box." I think he shouts at somebody. Um, so the, we got to talk about the dreams because that is the weirdest part of this movie. It's the hardest. It's the most up for interpretation part of the film. Um, we get a series of flashbacks multiple times of Joe being told he's the only one by a girl. Um, we see him having sex with this girl. Uh, then it's implied that other people are having sex with this girl, and he's a part of the, like a like a gangbang almost type scenario. Then there's a, an apparent rape sequence where he is also being raped and she is being raped. And then there's a scene of her parents and her saying he's the only one, and a scene of him going to jail um, for that rape. So there's a lot of imagery that I think is conflicting, and that's where where it becomes very abstract. Is I think it it's hard to decipher what actually happened and what Joe is remembering happened and what's just there as like to throw us off of maybe uh, understanding. And from what I remember reading uh, the book indicates that, um, Oh no, I'm going to forget. Cause I get, I get stressed out, but uh, it, it's, it's a little bit unclear in the movie for sure. Right. Yeah. And, um, Hold on, I'm just gonna I was like, wait, this. what? And I, because at first, and he, I think he references her, calls her crazy Annie at some point, or right. it's in his, like, dream, somebody calls her that. Uh, we see, like, when he's leaving town, that it says, like, Annie loves Joe Buck or something, and I don't know if that was just, if that was, like, a flashback of something that was on the water tower before, or if he's, like, imagining it. I feel like I should read this book. So in the book, it says, um, this is the novels, Wikipedia. Joe loses his virginity during his mid-teens to Annie, a girl who would regularly take on six boys at a time upon a dirty mattress behind a movie theater screen, each waiting patiently in line for his turn. Joe was the first boy she ever enjoyed having sex with, leading to a secret relationship that is squelched when one of Annie's many jealous quote-unquote users alerted her father to his daughter's activities after which Annie is swiftly institutionalized. So crazy is more like because she was a a promiscuous girl and that was not okay at the time. Um, So not necessarily that she had a disorder, but maybe that's what like a woman being called a witch kind of thing, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And then uh, 
See, it's never clear in. It doesn't say here if he goes to jail or not. Um, in the movie, it, there's definitely an image of him in jail. Um, but in the in the uh, book, it, or in this wiki, it does not indicate whether or not he's arrested for something or not. I could see it being maybe the dad accuses like the boys of raping his daughter because he doesn't want to believe his daughter was willingly doing that or something like that. But it does not say here. Um, so it's 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 a uh, it's but I think it's ambiguous on purpose. I think the director wants us to to think about it. Which but. I mean, if. Because in the movie, it does seem like he was raped. And there's a scene where he finally has a paying customer. Um, and he's not able to... I don't know how to talk about this movie delicately. Yeah, perform. He, he, he's unable to get an erection. I think that's... You, you go scientific. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And then she starts asking him if he's gay and all of this stuff. And then, you know... He gets upset. As most men, I think, if they have performance issues initially, will get defensive and whatnot. Well, then he was able to. Right. Um, and by her, like, teasing him. Now, it, it should be noted, though, that it's his first customer is after he's smoked, I think, weed is what it says. Even though it's, like, <laughs> I thought vapor. it was a cigarette, though. It was a cigarette. <laughs> um, and so, like, th those performance issues could be tied to a lot of things, right? Yeah, like, it and may then not... he takes um some drug i the guy's like upper or downer and i'm like oh my yeah. god and it's it's all stuff he's never done before so he has no idea what his body's gonna how his body's gonna react um and i think her messing with him maybe makes him focus and that could be what why he's finally able to perform quote unquote um and it is it's this weird like moment of victory for him because not only was she apparently satisfied um, but she's recommending him to her friends now. Like, she's got a client list building. And that's when he finds out that Ratso is sick. Of course, Ratso falling down the steps is one of, like, the most shocking moments in the movie. Because um, he's about to leave, right? And then Ratso just, like, comes tumbling down the steps. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, when I saw it the first time, I was like, what just happened? Um, and that's where I, I can't walk. And then I got to go to Florida. Dies on the bus. Um yeah, I I really like this movie. It, it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of tragic stuff. I think there's a lot. It's it's very accessible. And also at the same time, there's a lot you can think about and then pull back layers and start to, to really ponder what was being said. And again, I think we, we both are maybe interested in exploring the time period a little more because of this movie, you know, like what was happening in 1969 in New York. Yeah. Um, and it just... Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting, too, like, that they're living in this building that's condemned, and the yeah. buildings around them are being torn down, and... Hmm. Also, I don't know, very scary if they don't... I mean, they must check the buildings before they start knocking them down, but... Ooh. I mean, so probably... Bad. the ho I know homeless the homeless problem was, was really big in New York for a long time. So I'm sure that that was a common thing they would have to do just to make sure people weren't squatting in the, the building they're about to tear down. But um, yeah, I, again, that's probably something else that's being commented on just the homeless, the state of homeless, the state of maybe even Joe Buck's situation, people coming to New York with a dream and that's it. Uh, like no money. No, 
is so much opportunity too and then mm-hmm. but yeah there's only so much opportunity uh i mean his case his dream is illegal and that should be the first issue right like he's going like... somewhere like where it's like ah, you can't like that's a lot to to hang your hat on so to speak you know like <laughs> yeah also like if i feel like just some simple reasoning here. If it's so easy to make a living at that, why wouldn't more people do it? Yeah. Not that I everyone mean, wants to grow, go out and do that for a living. I'm just saying. Well, it's not even clear like where he gets that idea. Cause he's, he tells his, uh, his coworker that he's going to do this. And it's like, where did you, where did you come up with this? Like, where did you think <laughs> this is the thing that I meant to do? Like, um, and that's where, like, if yeah. he went to jail for the Annie thing, it, that's where it seems unclear because, uh, you know, I don't know, like, like what he went to jail for. Was he being accused of rape? Um, apparently those guys raped him because that is uh, the I, we didn't talk about the, the he gets desperate for money and he takes on first a guy to the movie theater and the guy's going to give him a, um, oral sex uh, in exchange for him paying Joe Buck. And then the guy doesn't have any money and he's basically... A, a self-hating homosexual who wants to be punished is kind of the vibe that it gets because like he knows he's in trouble when he doesn't have the money and joe is like gonna t- beat him up and then he's like just you know make it quick and um and then there's another scene with a, again another situation where he takes a guy back to the hotel room um that seems scary it was because joe gets real desperate um he doesn't want to do the act and then the guy's backing out and so Joe wants the money anyways, and then he just, he, it's implied that he may have killed him. Um, at the very least, he hurt him. Like, if he didn't kill him, he hurt him bad. Um, and, like, Joe's got blood on him, and he, he gets the money, and, uh, it, yeah, it's, there's, a, you know, some stuff happens in this movie. It's not, a, it's not a light movie by any means. Um, it's not to say there's not moments of levity where you might laugh or have a, have a good time with Ratso and, and Joe Buck, but, uh, there's other times, boy, where you're gonna be like, "Wow!" And um, at the very least, so you'll be you should be impressed by the the performances because I think both um, Voight and Hoffman are just giving a clinic on acting. It's just so impressive in this film, especially because um, if you read the stories about like Dustin Hoffman was told not to take this movie because he had just came off the graduate and he was looking like everyone was expecting him to be this big leading man, and Ratso is like anything but a leading man character like there's nothing about the character that's like hey this is your next lead um and hoffman took the role anyways uh despite you know being told like this could wreck your career this could end your like you're you're skyrocketing right now uh mike nichols who directed the graduate told him not to take this this role and i mean i'm glad he did because it's a hell of a performance i feel like it probably led allowed him to have a more varied career too sure uh, especially like, I mean, when you think of movies like Tootsie, um, where he's you know completely in costume. Uh, I mean, seriously, because it's that's that's not it's not you. Like it doesn't look like you on screen for most of the movie because you're in a full costume. It's like it's a character performance. You know, um, leading men don't do that. Like you think you know Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like you you always see Arnold, even if he might have dressed up as a woman at some point. I know he's a pregnant man at one at one instance, but um, you know, uh, yeah there are actors who are known as themselves like that. Like it's just their face on screen. That makes it doesn't matter what character they are. They're always going to be that same persona where Hoffman is, is a very, 
a very leading man type character actor though where he can lose himself in a character and uh this is just a really good example of it because man he is he is a different he's by far a different person than the character he plays in the graduate two years earlier you know Mm-hmm. um all right well is there anything else you want to say about midnight cowboy um glad we watched it i'm glad you liked it i wasn't sure how you you land on this one i i really enjoy this um it's always nice when you like a movie that you bought on criterion because it's always <laughs> awful when you don't um, <laughs> you're like why did i why did i waste my pick during the half yeah. off sale on this one what was i, I only get so many and then like, <laughs> like two a time two a sale yeah like um, yeah i am uh working through my criterions I'm, I'm gonna try to hit up like i'm gonna try to finish the david lynch films um i don't have too many left to watch of his non-documentary films and i do own blue velvet um oh, i think I or no i do not again. i own maholland drive i have oh, access I to, to blue velvet again. but i've okay. not seen either and then um i want to watch dune i think before villeneuve's comes out so um i'm when gonna try that? to get to those it's late it when is that I, I don't know for sure i feel like it was this year but i feel it okay. also seems like they just released a lot of images that look like they were just starting um oh. so i don't know but okay. uh and with all the pandemic stuff i really don't know so i have no clue but um sometime and then uh you know there's movies that we bought um like the eyes without a face which we're gonna watch later this year i think in october it's on our slate for movie club um and I got a few. I, I'm trying to trying to work through my Minton box uh, list. I want to whittle it down a little more, so I'm working through some stuff. Um, that's it for our review of Midnight Cowboy. Um, I I think this is a must see film easily. Um, Corey, where do you think it lands for you? Same. Uh, next week we're gonna be back to talk our last Minton box movie for the year, To Catch a Thief. Um, which is an Alfred Hitchcock film um, that I bought a little while ago on sale. And uh, I'm not going to ever make it through all of Hitchcock's collection. I don't even know if all of the movies he's done is available. He has an extensive list because of the studio system he was a part of. But um, I do want to check off a lot more of the big ones. And to, to Catch a Thief is one that I'm just like, well, how the heck have I not seen this movie? Um, if you're not familiar with To Catch a Thief, it, if I'm not mistaken, stars Cary Grant and... Um, Grace Kelly, uh, both of which oh. have worked with Hitchcock before. You have Cary Grant, who was in North by Northwest. And if I'm not mistaken, Grace Kelly is in Rear Window. Yep. Um, and Dial M for Murder, both Hitchcock films. Um, I still need to watch Dial M for Murder as well. Uh, one day, one day. I have them. I have all of these, but I have just not got to all of them. But um, I am I really like Cary Grant. Um, I liked him in North by Northwest, but I, I have since seen um, uh, His Girl Friday. And my favorite is Philadelphia Story. I absolutely love that movie with him so so much so i'm very excited to catch uh this thief um as you will so we'll be watching that and discussing it if you've seen it we'd love to hear your thoughts ahead of time or if you watch it afterwards we'd always love to hear your thoughts you can reach out to us easily on our social media uh you can hit Corey up where at Corey r star two hours on the end and you can follow me at burke reviews um if you like what we're doing on the podcast, we ask that you please rate and review. It just helps us to get new listeners. Um, it's a pandemic out there, so stay safe, mask up, and keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs>